Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. Psychologist, author, speaker, musician, former professor, and the host of Love and Life, Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Welcome to Love and Life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. Take charge. We say it every week on Love and Life. And whenever I come across another person with a take charge mentality, you know I'm resonating with their philosophy and their way of doing love and life. So when I came across Renee Slansky, I knew I wanted to have her on the program. Let me tell you just a little bit about Renee. What started out as a passion soon turned into a global purpose and movement. Renee Slansky is now recognized as an international dating and relationship expert and go-to industry advisor. Her teachings, coaching courses, and blogs have reached millions worldwide with one simple message, that love is as complicated or as easy as you want it to be, that every woman is worthy to love and be loved, and that love education is the key to building strong, thriving relationships. Renee's heart is to impact 10 million women, lower the divorce rate, bring love education into schools as part of the curriculum, and influence the dating culture. She's all about creating a global movement of self-love and relationship accountability. Renee, welcome to the program. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Oh, it's such a pleasure to have you on. I've followed you for quite a while. Catch my listeners up to speed with how you got into this space because it's yeah. not many of us think that we're going to grow up in and we're going to talk to people about dating relationships. So how did, how did you come into this realm? I've always had this passion growing up to see women live in their full potential and to, to see them have loving relationships. And I think that's a lot to do with what my parents' marriage was like, which wasn't overly amazing. Um, and so I guess I had this inbuilt desire to know that that existed and, and to know how to create that f- to exist. And I dated a man oh, seven or eight years ago now who had a child to a previous relationship. And this was the time when it was still a little bit taboo. Even online dating was taboo. I think dating apps had just kind of come out. So this modern type of relationship of what it was like to be the new stepmom, to to be the new girlfriend in the picture, wasn't really spoken about. And I felt that there was this real lack of support. So I created my blog um, just out of my desire to write and desire to be able to share my story and help women in similar situations or women being able to just combat what dating a relationship looks like nowadays, you know, second marriages, um, role reversal, you know, dating and technology, social media, all that sort of thing. And from there, I just started my blog and from that, it basically just, uh, developed into where I am now, which is coaching, um, men and women around the world, developing programs. I can consult some of the biggest dating apps and platforms in the world as well so that I'm trying to kind of bridge the gap between user and company. And I also write dating and relationship advice for some of the biggest magazines around the world and also um, TV and everything like that. So it really just started off as my personal experience of what I was going through and just seeing that there was such a need there and that women were hungry for love education. Well, clearly people are resonating with what you're bringing to the table and what you're putting out because it's coming from your heart. And Mm. and that's why I love to ask that question because people, like I said, they resonate with what you're bringing because you are saying, listen, I grew up in a family where the marriage wasn't stellar. It wouldn't Mm. be a model marriage. Mm. So I know what it's like. I've seen it firsthand. I knew for myself personally, I wanted something different, something exceptional. And then you start realizing you're not the only one. So many of us, like you said, are hungry for this information. And like you said as well, it's not available in our normal day-to-day training. We have to go looking for it. Mm. And there are resources, podcasts and, and so forth. But I just love that it comes from a place of your own personal growth and development. And Mm. then 
your own epiphanies, your own aha moments, and then going, wait, I, I want to put this out here and see what happens. And clearly a lot mm. happened. Yeah. And I think, like you said, there, there is this hunger for it. And a lot of people assume that, okay, I want love. So therefore I'm going to seek it through a dating app. Or they assume mm-hmm. that the way that the industry has changed, that the way that we can just meet people so instantaneously, we assume that that's the pathway to love. Um, and it's not. And I think people are now getting to a point in their life where they realize that what they're doing isn't working, you know, and mm-hmm. something needs to change. And an advance in technology hasn't been an advance in education necessarily, especially in the arena of love. And unless um, you've had amazing parents sit down and talk to you about, you know, okay, how to love yourself, how to communicate your value, how to do this, blah, blah, blah. And you've actually had that modeled, which let's face it, is really rare nowadays. Right. Um, Because, you know, you've got broken generation uh, feeding broken generation. Then it's all done by trial and error. And Mm -hmm. people just assume that, you know, one day they'll figure it out or one day it'll happen. One day they'll meet the right person or that person got lucky when really our life is a a byproduct of our decisions. And our decision is a byproduct of our thought process. And our thought process is affected by our beliefs about ourselves, our identity, and what we've also had impressed upon us as a child. So unless we actually take the time to sit down and actually learn how to do things differently and learn how it can actually be different people are just going to keep going in the same sort of repetitive pattern of going oh I'll try this this didn't work I'll try this this didn't work and that's why you get broken relationship after broken relationship in this negative cycle and you get women who are still struggling with love after their second marriage after you know Mm -hmm. trying for decades and decades and and it's sad because it doesn't have to be that way, but because there hasn't been an emphasis on educating people about love, the emphasis has just been about finding love. Right. That's where you have the gap. There is a huge gap. Let's connect on social. I'm most active on Instagram at Dr. Karen. That's D-R dot K-A-R-I-N. On Twitter, I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson. Live tweet with me when I watch my favorite shows, Will and Grace, my brand new fave, God Friended Me. And of course, all shows Bachelor Nation. Join me on Facebook where I'm stepping up my Facebook Live game. I'm at Dr. Karen Anderson Abril. So we had gone back and forth via email to talk about ownership. Yeah. And I think especially, we kind of touched on it earlier, it is a kind of crazy dating landscape, yet we can't just point a finger and blame technology, blame Tinder, blame these guys nowadays. When we do that, we put ourselves in a position of going into a victim mentality and we don't own our experience. Yeah. So I think it's something that I'm seeing more and more nowadays. Um, Probably this this sense of self-entitlement that because Mm. I'm a woman, I should have this or because I'm a man, I should have this. And what it does is it makes uh, the relationship centered around one person instead of the idea of working together as a team. And so more, and I'll just, I'm just being totally honest because obviously we're with men and women more often than not, I see this in women than men. And it's actually a major frustration that men have when they go on dates. And one of the things they say to me is like, Renee, it's so hard to find a woman that understands the value that, you know, he wants to do things. He wants to contribute. He wants to make the effort. But if it's not reciprocated, why should he continue to invest into someone that doesn't mm. put that equal effort in? And so it's such a simple little thing that a woman can do to communicate her value but also um, bring value to him and, and the relationship. Um, and that's simply by understanding that there are two roles in a relationship. And therefore, it's not about one person doing all the work just because of their gender. Um, It's about understanding that if you want something to work, it takes two people to make it happen. And when we have, you know, the influence of dating apps especially, um, Mm -hmm. we have this really kind of disposable attitude that because I have access to multiple dates in front of me, I don't need to do any more than what suits me in order to be able to find somebody. 
Mm-hmm. Um, because they can just swipe through. If that doesn't please me, I'll just swipe through the next one, the next one, the next one, the next one. Or I go on a date and it's like, oh, that didn't really, you know, no, that didn't sit what I wanted. And so a lot of women are going on these dates thinking, okay, we're in a time where obviously there's a rise of feminine, there's role reversal, women are empowered, which is an amazing point in history to be in. But mm-hmm. it is also having an effect on how men and women see their role when they're dating a woman as well because the woman has basically stepped into this level of power that is becoming a self-entitled attitude or it's emasculating men in a negative way. And I believe a woman can be strong. I I believe a woman can be empowered. I am all for that, but it doesn't have to disempower the man that she's dating Mm -hmm. because that's not being equal. That's not equal opportunity. That's basically trying to say that you're more than a man. Mm -hmm. And so I think you know, when somebody goes on a date, and, and I've been asked this a couple of times, they said, okay, I've had a few people ask when podcasting interviews said, what's your number one piece of advice for women in 2019? My number one piece of advice for women for 2019 is basically learn more about men. And the reason why I say that is because it takes the focus on just you deciding what you want and what you need and actually understanding that there's another person in this. And if you're able to understand what they need and what they want, that's going to give you a better um, idea of um, being able to come across as a more high-value woman. It means that uh, you're also going to work out compatibility-wise if you actually fit together a little bit more instead of just making everyone fit you. And it's going to just literally change the dating game for you because you're going to respond differently, you're going to think differently, you're going to act differently, and therefore you're going to get a different response from a man. If I was to go on a date and all I did was basically just forced upon what I want, which is maybe marriage, which is maybe children, um, commitment, all these sort Mm -hmm. of things, and I don't actually take the time to listen to what it is that a man wants or that he needs instinctively on a first date, which is basically just um, chemistry and, uh, you know, a little bit of mystery and spark and for basically him to want, okay, I want a second date with her, then I'm not going to get a second date. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of women are finding that they're hitting this roadblock. They're like, Renee, I don't understand. I don't understand. I'm going on these dates. I'm putting in all this effort. I'm doing this. And then I tell him I want this. And then I say I want this. And I know what I want. It's like, fantastic. But do you understand how men work? Mm-hmm. Do you understand that maybe what you want is completely different to what he's actually looking for on a first date? You know, they say men go looking for sex and they find love. Women go looking for love and they find sex. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's this this understanding that, I'm all for you communicating your value. I'm all for you understanding what your needs are, what your wants are, which are two actually totally different things in a relationship. And you have to have that point of direction so that you can identify it when it comes along. But that's just one part. The other part involves the other person. And that is understanding, okay, well, how can I get to know more about what they need, what they want? Do we fit together? Do we work together? What has their journey been and how can we actually make it work? I think people are looking for this perfect relationship and so they're constantly swiping through the next person and the next person and the next person Mm -hmm. looking for something that doesn't actually exist. And when they Mm -hmm. find it, they get stuck in this, well, they think they find it, they get stuck in this honeymoon phase and when that all starts to fall apart, which is typically two years, they go, oh, that, that wasn't meant to be, well, I saw this red flag and, this, and then they didn't, oh, no, I've, they don't really do what I want anymore. And, again, it becomes about self rather mm. than about working together as a team. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, it's just such a small shift in your mentality to, to see a relationship not only as, you know, communicating your own needs and wants but also understanding that the other person needs to do the same and you need to give them permission and space to be able to do that willingly so that that's where you start to build the communication. That's where you understand if there's true compatibility there and that's where you start to work together as a team, which is essentially what, like, a man is looking for. He wants to know, you know, the only reason a man will solely commit to a woman is because when he's with her, he feels better about himself. So, therefore, he associates that with the woman and the relationship he's building and wants to continue to invest into it. And he's not going to feel good about someone who is basically coming across as self-entitled or doesn't give him space to say what he wants and needs. Well, it's interesting because when you're talking, I'm just thinking of the word that keeps coming to mind is objectification, Mm. which women always feel objectified. But I'm thinking if you show up to a first, second, third date, and it's all about what you want, uh, I'm clear on what I want. Okay, that's great, girl. Be clear. (laughs) But I'm clear on what I want, and I want marriage in two years, and I want three kids. 
he's feeling objectified because you're really not that yeah. interested in who he is as a man yes. and what yes. his passions are and what his story is and what his dreams and hopes are. You're basically like, let's hurry up and do this because you're mm. good enough. And then I'll get my babies. Mm. And, and then we wonder why 10 years down the road, she's got her kids. She's all focusing on the babies. She's got mm. the life she wanted and he's feeling alienated. Yeah. He's feeling like she pays no attention to him because she really never yeah. did in the first place. Remember, he was really more an object in her master plan for yeah. her life. Yeah. And then he goes and, I don't know, the secretary at work, giving him a lot of attention mm-hmm. and, and things unravel. Mm. And she's all livid. But really, look at what happened. He was objectified from the very beginning. Yeah, but then he comes across as the bad guy because That's he right. wouldn't have an affair. I know it's, you know what, I've actually worked with some pretty high profile um, male clients who have ended up going to uh, escorts, let's say, I don't like Mm -hmm. to use the word prostitutes, Mm -hmm. but, um, and the reason why is because those women affirmed them and gave them validation and attention. Mm -hmm. most of the time it wasn't even just about sex. It was the fact that they felt they were needed and wanted. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the biggest things. Men need to be needed. Women need to be loved. And when we understand that because we're male and females, we'll never be equal in the way that we're the same. We're equal because we're different. And those differences is what makes men and women work together and if you're able to, to, you know, it's not just, you know, about the love languages, that's one of the simplest ways to understand, you know, what it is that your partner wants to how they feel loved, but it's also understanding how men and women are biologically, physically wired completely differently. And it doesn't have to be something that has to cause a divide. The only reason there's a divide is because there's a lack of communication and understanding of how they work differently. It's about going, okay, well, I know that if I go on a date with a man, this is what he will look for. And if I play to that, if I give him that, then he'll probably want to take me on a second date. Now, it's not about molding and shaping yourself to fit a man. Mm -hmm. It's about understanding that he has needs. And if those needs are met, he's going to be fulfilled. Just like if Mm -hmm. your needs are met, you feel fulfilled. Mm -hmm. So it's not even like a let's all be submissive to men and things like that. Like absolutely not. It's just about understanding that this is a human dating another human. And as humans, we all have needs and wants in life and in relationships when we're interacting with another human. And if we can communicate them and understand them, that's when you start to get harmony in a relationship. Right. And like you said, it's a human being in front of you. This is mm. not just a, a box that you're checking yeah. off in your, yeah, exactly. your life. <laughs> this is a human being. Mm. And, mm. and to see him for that and to recognize this is a man. You've mm. chosen to be with a man. So let him be a man. I yeah. I hear what you're saying. And it's a real dicey subject nowadays. It really, <laughs> women get very, I would say defensive. Yeah, I think they get very... um. Just, uh, I, I don't, and I think it's partly because the gender roles have, like you said, women have mm. been empowered, but you know, I'm working on this post and I haven't put it out there yet because it's, it's kind of dicey. So everyone, you guys are the first <laughs> to hear it. And at least you'll hear it with a lot of conversation and, and it'll be in context. But I think, I think women struggle right now. There's a difference between being empowered and entitled. Yes. Absolutely. And I want all the women who are listening to this and and who ever interact with us to be empowered. Mm. But I don't think anyone on the planet should be entitled. That's a different, it's, it's, there's a nuance there that's important and there's a distinction Mm. that really needs to be underscored. Yeah. Well, I think empowerment comes from a place of self-love and knowing your worth, whereas entitlement becomes from just a place of self. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it's that lack of love or that lack of worth um, that then just changes the whole context of, you know, basically empowered to entitlement. And entitlement is also um, a part of ego as well, I think, um, in a way that you think you're better than someone or you think you're owed something. And you don't owe anything in life. You either create, you know, what it is that you have in your life. You either go out and get it or you don't. Um, and we're definitely... I think also because of the influence of social media in the way of Instagram and um, status mm-hmm. on social media has definitely infiltrated, especially into the younger generation of because I have this many 
followers or because Mm -hmm. I have this amount of influence, therefore I am this person and I'm entitled to this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, if you have that mindset in, you know, when it comes to, to work or business or booking holidays or flights and you believe that you should get everything free because you have, uh, you know, 30,000 followers or whatever, there was actually a story in Australia about a woman who put down her 30,000 followers as, um, as her kind of guarantee for why she should get a home loan, which... <laughs> You know what I mean? So, oh my gosh! Yeah, so we we really have taken it to the next level, and of course that um, then trickles into our dating and relationships, and it's one of the reasons why a lot of people are, are struggling because. Mm you know, they are able to see because the dating apps as well, they are able to see the numbers that are available to them. Mm-hmm. And therefore they go, well, I know that I've got an endless supply of whoever on these dating apps because there's literally millions and there's 80 million users on Tinder alone worldwide. Therefore, I know that I'll keep swiping through because this is what I am. And they're thinking, well, it's because I'm worth this. And, and one of the really annoying things for me at the moment is I see so many posts out there trying to be all about empowering women, um, saying, you know, if he does this, then don't do this and walk away. And and I was like, well, hang on a second. Let's just stop. (laughs) Let's just really take a breather and ask ourselves, okay, was it him or was it me or was it both of us? Mm -hmm. Because it's not always the man's fault. And we make mistakes as women. And I think, you know, we have to stop believing, as you said, that self-entitlement is empowering because it's not. It's actually completely the opposite. Mm -hmm. And being self-entitled is disempowering somebody else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's, yeah, I completely agree with that. <laughs> yeah, it's disturbing. And, I mean, I think we're dancing around something that, again, is not always the most popular mm. opinion right now, which is that there may have been some merit and some value to more traditional gender roles. There, I said it. <laughs> I said it, girlfriend. <laughs> right? Because it, it, there was a, an understanding, those gender roles, in terms of the way that men treated women and women treated men, mm. there was an understanding of, of, like you're saying, that we are biologically created differently, that yeah. we have different needs, we have different desires for what we're looking for in a relationship yeah. and what we want to give the relationship. Yeah. And we've kind of, and, and again, in we've stripped each other of the joy mm, mm. of, of that, of stepping into that role and enjoying yeah. it. And not that I, of course, no one is trying to say that women should be kept down. As you were saying earlier, yeah. no one's trying to say that a woman should be submissive to the point that she doesn't have a voice in the relationship. That's absurd. That's just absolutely yeah. absurd. But at the same time, so for example, in my marriage, my husband, he's a leader. He's mm. an entrepreneur. He's a businessman. Mm. And I have two older brothers who I adore. I have a, well, he, my father passed away, but my father was a huge, huge, powerful force in my life, all for good. Mm. So I'm the woman who has all these wonderful men in my life. Mm. So it's really hard for me to vilify men the way that that's happening yeah. worldwide right now. And, and yeah, that's, yeah. that's another topic for another day. I hope yeah. we should come back on. We'll talk about that. <laughs> so, and so in my marriage, it's very easy for me to let my husband take his skill set of leadership. Now, Mm. obviously I have a PhD. I mean, I've been a professor. I've spoken in front of hundreds of people. I have a podcast. I mean, I'm clearly able to lead if and when it is needed. But in our marriage, I'm comfortable going, you know what? I was single until I was 42. Mm. I had to pay my own bills. I bought my own car. I I had to lead in so many realms of my life. It's Mm. nice for me to go, you know what? You can go ahead and lead right now. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and he likes that I like that. And yeah. so I'm not trying to say that my model of my marriage is, is the model for everyone. But I'm giving an example of sometimes we as empowered women of the new millennium, we do not have to push back against every single gender role that feels a bit archaic. No. We might want to examine it and see if there might be a benefit for us. Absolutely. And by you allowing your husband to lead, that doesn't make you weak. No. I mean, you're still a leader in your own right. I mean, I'm the same in, in my relationship. I mean, my man is a leader. He was a captain in the army. He's like, he's the sort of person who walks into the room and he commands attention and everyone follows him. And he's a complete leader by definition. Mm-hmm. But I'm a leader as well. 
And it's not a competition for us right. of who leads and who's in right. control. I mean, I jokingly always say he's the head, but I'm the neck and the neck turns the head. You know? so, <laughs> I've heard that before. Too. <laughs> I think there is two different types of leadership roles and that's the masculine and the feminine. And a lot of women assume that a leader role is always only masculine and therefore they have to be overly masculine in mm-hmm. order to communicate that they're a leader. When in fact, you can lead quietly, you can lead gently, you can lead from a place of not necessarily having to be overbearing. That's still just as much as a leader. I mean, you know, for me in my relationship and what I tell my girls is if the more that you understand how men work, the more you're going to get a positive result from a man and the more that's going to make him want to invest more into you, mm-hmm. you know. And one of the simplest ways that you can do this is what I say to girls is like ask him for help. Men need to know that they are needed. They they want to step into that role. They want to step into the hero role. And if you provide him opportunities, even if you don't need him to, even if you like you can change the light bulb by yourself or you can answer that question by yourself, it's not about that. And this is what I'm talking about, understanding how to make a man fulfilled in his role. It's not because we're all about putting a man on a pedestal. It's the last thing I want anyone to do. It's about understanding if you make your partner or your date feel fulfilled in who he is, that's going to have a positive effect on how he treats you. Mm-hmm. And that is what's going to, to give this harmonious sort of relationship. Right. And then do you have women who you work with, do they push back and say, well, that's just phony because why would I ask him for something that for help with something that I absolutely don't need help with? I mean, do they feel that it's disingenuous? Do you get that kind of feedback? No, I don't actually. A lot of the time women didn't even realize that you could do that. Um, and <laughs> right, they've been so independent for so long, right? They're like, right. oh, wait. Yeah. Because, because I explain to them why. I don't just tell them, oh, ask him to, do, ask him to help you because, then like, you know, I explain to them, okay, well, this is why you do it. Like I said, I'm always about the why because then you're able to actually understand the consequence by, behind that behavior and whether it's good or bad. You know, people always come up to me like, oh, what's the red flag? What's the white flag? And I was like, okay, well, let's look at the whys. And when you're able to understand, okay, well, the reason why you ask a man for help occasionally or one of the easiest ways to get his attention or to make him a priority to get is to ask him for help, it's because you understand it fulfills one of his primal needs. Mm-hmm. And if he feels that that need is met, he, he associates, oh, I feel good about myself. She makes me feel good about myself. I want to keep giving her attention. I want to keep prioritizing her because it has a good effect on me. And yeah. so it's positively feeding the relationship. Now then do some women say, because they've probably heard this in the past too, do they ever say, well, I don't want to appear needy because I Mm. hear that. that, And of course, I don't want anyone to appear needy either because that's, again, going away from the empowerment stance and and the I'm self-fulfilled and I've got my own life over here. Whereas we know that some women, if they don't have their own life over here, then when they get into a relationship, they can lose themselves and basically expect their boyfriend to fulfill them and complete them and all that kind of stuff. So do you get any of that kind of um, concern? Absolutely. And I did a YouTube video on this. Um, I mean, it's, it's like chasing and initiating, two totally different things. Asking for help and coming across needy is, again, two totally different things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One comes from a place of insecurity. One comes mm-hmm. from a place of knowledge, mm-hmm. of knowing what it is that a man needs to feel fulfilled and how, how a man works. And that's the difference. And the moment that you step over the line, his, his reaction will be a guide to that. If he mm-hmm. starts to pull back or if he starts to have a negative reaction to you asking him for help, then you know that, okay, now I'm starting to go into that needy zone rather than just asking for help in order to fulfill one of his masculine desires. I think it's a really nice distinction. I like how you put that. Mm. The what is the why, right? So yeah. that's what I'm all about because my preferred therapeutic orientation is cognitive therapy. And the theme of this podcast mm. is take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life. Yes. So I'm always, the thought is then going to inform the feeling. So if I'm feeling sad, well, what thoughts yeah. are going on in my mind, right? And the thoughts yeah. that are going on in my mind, there's they are rooted in a, a meaning that I'm ascribing to a situation, yeah. And that meaning that I've given is probably linked to some core value. So that it's just layers and levels yeah. of, of information that as I become more able to unpack that all, and that just helps me be more introspective and be able to detach just a bit to analyze the situation a little bit more objectively. Mm. And that's what it sounds mm. like what you're helping your clients to do. 
Yeah, that's it. It's, it's about, you know, usually obviously emotional intelligence and choosing your response instead of reacting every mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. Um, and thinking about it. And it's, it's taking control instead of, like I said, instead of the doing the trial and error method, you're now making decisions based on a calculated outcome or or knowledge, you know. I mean, as I said to my clients, I can't remove all the risk from love. No. <laughs> and it would be pretty boring <laughs> if I did because <laughs> we like a little bit of chase and we like that anticipation. True. Um, but you can make it a calculated risk and that basically just comes down to, again, love education, knowing the do's and don'ts, knowing the standards um, and, and knowing what human needs are as well. Um, obviously, it's going to vary from each person to person, but the the core fundamentals don't change. You know, what we need as humans and what is required in a relationship to keep it healthy doesn't change. You can have a million dating apps. We can go 20, 30 years from now. Goodness knows what we'll have, probably dating robots. But, you know, (laughs) it doesn't change. The, the, The fundamental needs which makes us human beings and makes us crave to love and be loved does not change. So therefore, that's what it's about, stripping it back to those basics. Right. And I love that you're talking about choosing a next step as opposed to just some knee-jerk reaction. And so, yeah. like, like you're saying, as we become more introspective, we can become more mindful about, hmm, how would I like to respond here? What mm. would serve my values? What would serve me and this relationship and my partner? As opposed yeah. to just this, <laughs> just flying off the handle because you've been triggered, and, and, yeah. and that doesn't—that's that's emotional maturity, and that yes. it's everyone. You, of course, number one, but everyone around you benefits as we all develop emotional maturity. So, uh, on that, on that, on that same note, talking about ownership again, which I just love this topic. I'm really, and, and you can tell from you know take charge of your thoughts, take charge of your life. I'm really big about owning my experiences pretty much Mm. always, which sometimes, and I even put a post one time on Instagram and I got some pushback, which I expected, but I, I said it something to this effect. I can't remember exactly what it, how I said it, but it was something like, if I blame others, I have no control. If I Mm. blame myself, I have control. Mm. Now people hate blame and I get it. Blame, shame. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a, that's a dicey word, but I kind of threw it out there just to <laughs> see what people would think about it. But I love blaming myself, which sounds weird. Well, it's, but I do. it's accountability, isn't it? It's yeah. not like blaming, it's taking responsibility or accountability for what you've done. Yeah. And if I analyze a situation or a circumstance and I recognize my part in it and okay, I blame myself, or I at least acknowledge that I had a role that I played, I can change that role that I played. I cannot change the other person. I cannot change that it's raining today or that it's not. So I love figuring out what in this vast universe that we live in, what little portion can I control? Because that's Mm. where my power is. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's the same like in a relationship in uh, dating. I get a lot of people ask me, how can I make someone fall in love with me? How do I get someone back? How do I make them change? You cannot force your beliefs onto someone and you can't control how they think or how they feel, but you can influence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's about taking ownership. And and one of the ways that I say, you know, a lot of women who come to me with their their marriages aren't going well, they're like, how do I change my husband? And I said, okay, well, you can't change a man. (laughs) That's the last thing that you want to do. He has to want to change. Right. And people want to change because they see benefit in it. Now, one of the the easiest ways to um, influence change within somebody is to first be the change that you want to see. Mm-hmm. It all starts with you because that is what you are in control of with what you said. Um, and when you're able to model the behavior whilst accepting them for who they are, not who you want them to be, that's when you give them the safe place mm-hmm. to feel that they can or want to change, you know, because they, they realize, okay, well, she's not trying to change me because she doesn't think I'm good enough. You know, I want to change for her because I see that, you know, she's got consistency in her character. And, um, also that she, um, you know, makes me feel like a better man. Therefore I want to do more in order to be able to appreciate her more, for example. 
-hmm. But it's this definitely, um, and I think lack of uh, accountability when it comes to your own decision comes from a place of self-entitlement again. Mm you know, and self, and like I said, well, isn't ownership self-entitlement? It's it's not. Ownership is going, okay, and I saw this great post um, on Instagram the other day basically saying if you're uncomfortable with accountability, it's basically because you're not ready to look at what needs to change within yourself first. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, it's, it's confronting mm-hmm. because no one wants to know that they're the issue, but we are the common denominator in our life. Yes, we you are. You know, you choose to date who you date and you choose to do what you do on those dates because you're in your control of your decisions. Now, if you choose to continue to date men who mistreat you, that doesn't make all men assholes. Right. That means that you're not able to identify a man who's able to bring value. Or, or value who you are. Okay. So you're choosing that. Now, if you're going on these dates and you're doing a behavior that is bringing out the worst in men or not, you know, continuing to, to get further and further, again, that's your decision to continue to do that behavior. Now, whether you're aware of that behavior or not is another thing. This is where love education comes in. Mm-hmm. There's only two reasons why um, women get stuck being single um, and that's all men. It's because they're either dating the wrong person or they're doing the wrong thing when they're with that person. So instead of, you know, trying to go out there and seek the solution in somebody else, which is what people are doing, again, because of the access to the amount of people that we can date via dating apps, it's about understanding that it all starts with you. And before you're able to go out there and start looking for this perfect person that you want to exist, it's about going, well, am I who I need to be and can be in order to be able to attract the person that I want? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to have an amazing husband, are you wife material? If you want to have an amazing wife, are you husband material? This is what I'm talking about ownership. It's about looking at yourself and going, okay, have I become the best version of myself, even though I may be a work in process, because we always are, in order to be able to attract the sort of person that I ideally want and know that they would want. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's kind of like a, that was a light bulb moment for me. It was one of my epiphany things where I was like, Okay, maybe maybe I'm actually my own problem sometimes. Maybe it's not just men. <laughs> what, was there a, a, a one relationship that really kind of shed light on that? Because that's always interesting to hear those those pivotal moments. Yeah, yeah, well, definitely. It was, well, it was my ex-relationship which um, started everything. Highly toxic, very narcissistic, um, very uh, emotionally blackmailing, all this sort of stuff. And I, I, like, I will never forget this moment. It was on and off, like just really, really bad. And I just couldn't break free of it, you know. And it's one of those really sort of hard relationships to actually clean cut and walk away. And I was driving along the road and I had that epiphany moment where I was like, huh, I am the common denominator in all my series of broken relationships. I'm the common denominator here because they've all moved on and found girlfriends and wives. I'm still single. So it can't just be them. It has to be me as well. Mm-hmm. And, and that was, it was seriously the light bulb moment for me. And that's where I was like, and then the second light bulb moment was I need help. I need help working on me first before I go out and find somebody else because clearly there's things within me that haven't been resolved yet, hence why I'm creating these patterns. And so I went and got professional help Mm -hmm. um, from a counsellor and that was what turned it all around for me. And it's something that I teach in all of my programs and and with all my coachings is my girls and I even say to my clients, okay, you're not allowed to date for the first four weeks. And they're like, what? You're a dating coach. I meant to date. I was like, no. I love that. They're like, I don't know if I can do that. I'm like, you can and you will. It's okay. I'm like, (laughs) again, the wise. Um, but you are the longest relationship you have is with yourself and you know, you are a byproduct of of your decisions and what you do and what we don't repair, we repeat, Mm -hmm. you know? So if we're able to, to work on ourselves and understand that ownership is first going, okay, I'm going to look at myself. I'm going to take accountability for my role of what I can do of what I want, not to punish myself and not to have self-condemnation but in order to understand what true potential lies within me and what I'm actually worthy of, mm-hmm. that's when you start to get the change. Yeah, that's well put. It's not about condemnation. It's not about yeah. self-loathing. I mean, it's about forgiving yourself for not knowing what you didn't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but also holding yourself accountable to say, well, once I realize it, I don't know something, 
then I got to go find out <laughs> some stuff that I don't know, whether it's through therapy or self-help books, yeah. coaching or podcasts. That's absolutely it. And, and it's hard sometimes to forgive ourselves when we mm. look back and we have that clarity. All of a sudden we go, oh no, now I see what I was doing. <laughs> it's not about beating yourself up. It's just going, oh wait, looking at that and going, oh, this is great actually, because now I yeah. see and mm. what I see, I can change. What does Maya Angelou say? Uh, she said, uh, once you know better, you do better. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's that level of self-awareness. Self-awareness not to punish yourself, but self-awareness to to understand that it doesn't have to be the way that it's always been. Right. Yes. Mm. If you're single, you've likely heard it all. You've been told you're too picky, you should just get on another dating app, or that you're not trying hard enough. And you're probably really tired of hearing those messages because I know I was when I was single for all those years, which is why I felt the need to bring another perspective to the dating relationship self-help genre. Single is a new black, don't wear white till it's right, is my take on what the single life can be if we refuse to settle, we know that we're worth an extraordinary relationship, and we refuse to fall prey to single shaming. Trust me, it is a different self-help book. Check it out on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or on my website, www.drkarin.me, D-R-K-A-R-I-N dot me. And I wonder, you mentioned, you alluded to the fact that your parents' marriage wasn't the strongest. And I think many of us mm. come from homes where it's like, what was the model? Because when, when we're children, mm. we think, you think that your family is pretty much what every family is like. And yes. so that's really all we have to go on. And, and, and so then when we start trying to, we get older and we start looking at other relationships and other patterns. And, but again, our default mode can be so strong that we just assume, well, that's the way it's going to be. So you were saying you were stuck with a narcissist. And so what was the moment though, where you said, wait a minute, like you're driving in the car, but was there one final fight or was there one final turning point where he did something that was in public and you were embarrassed and then you went, you know what, I shouldn't be treated like this. Or Because I'm always thinking that those concrete examples are really powerful for listeners to go, oh, wait, have I had that moment? Do I need to re-examine that that moment in my life? You know what? To be honest, it wasn't one single moment. It wasn't like that. No, it was more a compounding effect. Mm -hmm. It was more just time and time again, just the same repetitive habit of him... Uh, I mean, gosh, apart from him hiding me from his ex-wife for two years, not meeting my parents for two years, um, threatening, you know, all this sort of stuff. It was just this series of, I mean, he was going through uh, like extreme depression as well. I was trying to rescue him. Um, It was a whole heap of things. And it was basically, um, I think one of the defining moments for me was when I was in Europe and I... um, just was not, you know, having the response from him that I hoped I would. We'd kind of decided to take a break again. Yeah. And this time he'd really pulled back and I was just like really desperate for him and his attention again. And I had one of those days where I realized I just couldn't keep doing this. I was just miserable. And that's when I went to a bookstore and I bought a journal and I found these seven postcards, which just for me defined a lot of what my season was going through and they were things like, you know, um, uh, you know, know about your value and your worth. And I've got them all on my Instagram and, and my blog. And there was like a direct message from God, you know, and, and I got this journal and I'm like, I'm going to do three lists. And this is what I then came up with this three list concept. And that's something that I do with each and every one of my clients. It's basically what I bring to the table, who's at the table that I sit down with and what's on the table. And basically it's about going, for some reason I was just like, okay, what do I truly want? What do I truly desire? Because I am so unhappy right now in the situation that I'm in. And I wrote, you know, a three page list of every single thing that I wanted in a relationship and in a man. And then I also wrote a list of what I knew I was as a person and what I was worthy of. And I wrote, you know, I'm a good listener. I'm a good communicator. I'm this, 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 and this. And it was just something about those three lists. And when I came back from Europe, where I was just like, 
I felt I had more control because I had a little bit of direction and accountability in those those pages of my journal. Um, and from there, it, it was still a little bit of a gradual process to be able to let go of him because I'm not someone who is clean cut. I can't just like do cold turkey. I never was. <laughs> I, I'm just like, I take my hat off to those people. I don't know how they do it. I um, do too. Oh my gosh. But oh I was God. not one either. <laughs> um, and, and that was it. So I think I think sometimes women think that they have to have this full on defining moment where all of a sudden you're like, and then I walked away and I never saw him again. But it's not like that for every woman. And I'm I'm one of those women where it was like, no, it was a compounding effect. I wish it ended from the moment it started, but it didn't. I can't hate myself from that. I've Mm -hmm. learned from this experience. I've turned that struggle into, into my story and I've turned that pain into my purpose. Um, and during that process of, of breaking away from him, it was like this layering of what I needed to do in order to break away from him, which is what I now bring into my courses and things like that. So, you know, it was, it's something that for a part of it, I've blocked a lot of it out. It's like they didn't even exist to me like any of my exes because I've retrained my mind that way. Um, But it's something that, and I see it with a lot of women, you're in a toxic relationship often you don't see it until you're out of it, Mm -hmm. just how toxic it is because you're just so close to it and your brain is filled with that familiarity. So therefore it continues to move towards that, that you're trapped in it even if you don't want to be Mm. because automatically you've wired your brain to to want it and need it, even if it's negative for you. Mm. So it's, Mm. yeah. But I love the tangible of the journaling, of the just mm. having some space, carving out some space f- to be analytical, to be introspective. And that's something that in our fast-paced world that is only getting more fast-paced, very few of us are really harnessing the power of still moments. Yeah. Very few of us, and me included. Mm. And it's very powerful. There's so much like research on even deep breathing and people want to you know, pop Mm. panics every five seconds when honestly, there's so much we can do just with our mindfulness practices and and being calm and and letting our body just have a moment. And clarity can come in these moments. I mean, there's there's research that people come up with great ideas in the shower a lot. Why? Because they're just still for 10 minutes. Yes, very true. (laughs) You had this clarity where you were away from the situation and you were sad and you had that little gumption of, I'm going to go to the bookstore and I'm going to, something's got to change. And then you found a journal and you came up with some lists and all of this kind of stuff is really powerful. It seems, Hmm. I mean, I remember when I was in getting my uh, degree to be a therapist, I remember, you know, bibliotherapy and, and journaling and narrative therapy was really hot at the time, which I thought, I dismissed it. I thought it was so silly. And now I'm a huge proponent mm. of mer- narrative therapy, which is basically, what's your story? Mm. And and looking at your story and then analyzing it and going, do I have to interpret my story this way? Can I reinterpret it? Can I reframe it? Can I yeah. come up with a story that is more empowering, that gets me to where I want to go rather than a victim story of, of victimization. And, and and that was the point in your story where you, that was your first turning of the corner Mm. where you started taking charge. And now, yeah, of course it was two steps forward, three steps back and so forth. But still, I love those really concrete moments that you can look at and go, that's when it started to Mm. move. We started to Mm. move in the right direction. Yeah. And I think it's something that you know, women can, if they're going through a situation right now that's similar or they're just not sure how they break free, you know, when a man asks for space, our initial instinct is to freak out. <laughs> right. But sometimes him stepping back gives you an opportunity to to get perspective yourself mm-hmm. on whether or not something needs to, well, obviously something needs to change if he's asking for space, but what needs to change? Is it him? Is it you? Or is it the situation? And, you know, it's something that, uh, you know, I come with, I have women come to me and they're like, I, I don't know if I should leave my husband, um, you know, all sorts of things. I have broken marriages, you know, a lot of, a lot of people with a lot of, I guess, hoping that we can fix, you know, as women, we want to fix things. Yeah. It's one of our, again, instincts sort of reactions. Um, and not everything that's broken is meant to be fixed mm-hmm. and, or not by you anyway. 
you know, personally, I believe it's by God, but that's only something that God can do, mm. you know? So there is sometimes the peace isn't in the repairing. The peace is in the leaving and rebuilding. Mm-hmm. And, and that for me is, is what I've experienced. And it's, it's what, um, that there's no shame in that, you know, there's no shame in realizing that some things are best left as they are and it's not meant to be. So. Yeah. It, and mm. yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I'm going back to <laughs> relationships where there was that desire for space. And then as women, like you're saying, oftentimes it's that approach avoidance. So there's that pulling back and then we come, <laughs> we come forward because mm. we're trying to get back what was, was removed from us, which of course, then the, the person is like trying to get more space because totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a, it's a classic dynamic. It's a classic, mm. and not just romantic relationships, it's a classic dynamic and family. Mm. And, but it, but the more that we can as to your point, if someone asks for space, give it and yeah. take that time for your own processing, for your yeah. own introspection. And then, and this is hard too, not that I was any good at it at all, but wow, sometimes just to let something go yeah. is the most freeing and empowering step you can take. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not to say, um, you know, that relationships that you should stop altogether and you know oh Renee told me to let go of my marriage or whatever like that I'm not for that at all you know I think um you know love is a choice it's not just a feeling and Mm -hmm. it's our choices that make our marriages and our relationships strong not our feelings commitment is a choice trust is a choice all the big fundamentals are actually choices they're not feelings yeah um that's why people go, oh, well, I don't feel this anymore. Therefore, I'm just going to, it's not meant to be, you know, it's no, I choose, I choose regardless of how I feel, but holding on to something that is taking away from your self-love and your peace Mm -hmm. isn't healthy. And that's why there, there can be that healing in, in letting go sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that feeling that you think has just, just escaped you again, like we were talking about earlier, it's rooted in a thought. So I'm always Mm. encouraging people to think, what are you thinking? I mean, if you're sitting there all day and with your husband and you are just focusing on, on the one, two, maybe 10 things that he did that annoyed you all day, but you haven't focused on the 150 things he did that have been wonderful, that have made your life, that have enhanced your life and made it so much better. So mm. it's all about what you choose to put that energy towards. Absolutely. And again, that's Absolutely. the ownership of it. Mm. And if you want that feeling back, are you doing anything on your part to really yeah. cultivate that feeling, to let that feeling flourish? Or are you throwing so much negativity because your mindset is so negative now that all you can see mm. is through your negative colored glasses instead of your rose colored glasses, there's mm. a lot mm. more power than we realize because we're not taking hold of our thoughts. Yeah. And they also think, well, he's in the wrong left or he should do this first. When it's like, it's not about who's wrong and right. Sometimes it's about going, what can I do to move forward? What can we do as a couple to repair this? It's not him versus you. It's about you as a couple versus the problem, regardless of who created the problem sometimes. Absolutely. It's you're on the same team. That's one of the things. Mm. Yes. (laughs) So one of the things that we wanted to highlight was owning our own solutions and you mentioned yes. that oftentimes women, we kind of think, okay, so when this happens, then I'll be happy. And when this happens, mm. then it'll be okay. And, and, and everything will sort itself out. And whether it's the, the new man or a man or the next guy or this, mm. somewhere far in the future, instead of owning that the solution comes from within. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. It's about, again, understanding that um, you are the common denominator in your life, as I mentioned before, and that whatever you choose to think, you then act on. And whatever you speak, you speak into existence. And so basically, you're creating your life to go in the way that you want it to go. And happiness is an inside job. And it's something that I personally have experienced where okay, I was a total hopeless romantic, you know, give me Disney any day, um, <laughs> went through obviously a series of really tragic, awful relationships, hence why I'm able to coach people on what not to do. <laughs> right. um, I finally met my man. I met my man. He is 
actually a knight. His father's a vicomte. He's French, grew up in a castle, flies helicopter, rescues orphans, was in the army, um, you know, very romantic, dresses well, like tall, dark, handsome, you name it, straight out of a romance novel. So I was like, oh, my gosh, God delivered, you know, um, and immediately put him on this pedestal. And he became my purpose. My, our relationship became my purpose and my happiness because your purpose is usually tied to your happiness. And that just had the complete opposite effect of what I wanted. And our relationship disintegrated to a point where we actually separated for um, one month, not that long, but one month at one point because even after we got engaged because I had shifted my identity to our relationship and to him instead of realising that I need to stand in my own identity and he needs to stand in his own. And I see a lot of women assume that happiness or their purpose or their life begins once they're in that relationship. Now, it is a normal human need to want to love mm-hmm. someone and to be loved by someone and I, that doesn't make you needy, it doesn't make you weak, it makes you completely human and we're not created to be alone. But the moment you think that it begins and ends with somebody is the moment that you set yourself up for failure. And there's no easy way for me to say that. I believe that we're all called to contribute something to, to, to the earth, to the universe. Um, we all have a role. We all have a designed, you know, character to play in this world. And the sooner that you're able to identify how you are able to contribute and what it is that you have as your own purpose, that's where true fulfillment comes from. And a man becomes just an added bonus. Right, 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 yep. And one of the things I think the biggest lesson was was that because I knew myself and I was in this great place before I met Stan and then when I met him everything was going really amazing and then all of a sudden I shifted too much onto him, he was like, well, where's this woman that knew her own identity Mm. before me? Where was this woman who had her own purpose before me? And so he pulled back because he wasn't as attracted to me because I wasn't the same woman that he fell in love with. Mm -hmm. And then I pulled back from him because I was like, hang on, why aren't you romancing me? (laughs) So it was this downward spiral. And I remember us having this like really emotional uh, conversation about it where we just were totally raw with each other Mm. about why we both pulled back. And we realized we were feeding each other's negative reactions without even realizing it because, you know, I, you know, I wasn't to say that I was the sole problem. I wasn't because we were both contributing to it, but I had basically made him my purpose and, and that wasn't right. And that was why I was so unhappy because he was always shifting and changing because our life at that point was shifting and changing due to circumstances. So therefore your happiness is always shifting and changing. And so if you're able to get your happiness, I guess, from a sense of what you're in control of, it minimizes the risk and it means that you're not shifting that into somebody else's pocket and you're not searching for that through somebody else. And I believe that, you know, the most incredible relationship you can ever have besides the one with God is with yourself. And that was one of the biggest things that I learned was that the fairy tale was not in a man. The fairy tale was within me. And that was another epiphany moment that I had, which was during actually a point where we separated for a month where I was like, I was like, why am I in this position again? I can't believe it. You know? And I realized I was just like, no, he's not the fairy tale. No man's the fairy tale. I'm the fairy tale. Mm. I am designed to have this incredible, beautiful relationship, not only with God, but with myself, because that is what I'm created to do. I have been put at this time on the earth to communicate my gift and my purpose to others around me. And that is where the real happily ever after is. And it's something that when you're able to fall deeply in love with yourself, and it's why I teach my my students to date yourself before you date a man, you know, and to continue that mentality, to continue to date yourself even when you are with a man, that is what will keep the balance in a relationship. That is what will keep a man more interested in you because by default it creates chase. Mm. Um, and it also means that you learn to be completely fulfilled and whole, regardless of whether or not you have a man, you become your own solution. You become your own rescue. That is so beautifully and powerfully stated. I, I just, <laughs> I'm over here giving you like that a hundred that we use for Instagram, like a hundred, a hundred, a hundred, a hundred. <laughs> like I have nothing to add to that. 
Renee had so much great information for us. I wanted to give her the opportunity to share her vision for love education embedded into school curriculum to help us all thrive in love and life. Join us next week to hear more about Renee's vision for love education. And be sure to catch up with her on social media. You can find her pretty much everywhere at Renee Slansky. The love and life hack for this week is own it. Renee shared how her life changed dramatically when she started to truly take responsibility for her part in her love life and in every realm of her life. Take charge of your thoughts. Take charge of your life. I'm Dr. Karen Anderson Averill, thanking you for joining me this week, and a special thank you for all of you who've rated the podcast and left reviews. It means so much to me. I really appreciate it. And until next time, make it a great week. Love and Life is produced by Tim May and hosts and executive producer, Dr. Karen Anderson-Abril.